Hello and welcome to the Canem Rinse podcast. This is volume 10, issue 474, and today we will be talking about everyone's favorite PS1 game, Kadelka. Joining me, Leah Haydu, in issue 474 are Rich Davison. Uh, Prinhonda listeners. Oh my god, was that actually Welsh? Uh, it's, a, it's an attempt at it. I mean, somebody else surely correct okay. me. Okay, well, I hope we're insulting somebody. And Brian Edwards. <laughs> I don't have the patience to teach you two about the manners of faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would probably take a, a while. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So as you, as you can tell, um, there's a lot going on in this game. Uh, Kudelka is not a game that a lot of people have heard of. Shockingly, it is. Uh, it was my choice for Volume Ten. Uh, it is a predecessor to the Shadow Heart series, which I am personally very fond of, but nobody else wanted to play it. So uh, Kudelka, it was, uh, which actually was a good thing because I've never played Kudelka before this, and now I have. So we can uh, we can bring it up and we can uh, give it a, a a thorough caning and or rinsing, possibly. Uh, so if you are not familiar with Kudelka, and uh, I'm guessing that a lot of people are not, uh, I'm gonna read a a bit of um, of Wikipedia's description of what Kudelka is. Just to give you a little bit of background, uh, set in the haunted Nematon Monastery in Wales, the plot follows protagonist Kudelka Yaisant, Edward Plunkett, and Bishop James O'Flaherty. He is not a priest, he is a bishop. As they uncover Nematon's secrets and confront monsters, monsters created from its dark past. Its gameplay blends exploration and puzzle elements with turn-based battles waged on a grid. Uh, there are... Gameplay-wise, fixed camera angles, similar to a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill, both of which are rough contemporaries to this, not exactly the same year, but uh, around the same era. Uh, it, it has a lot of similarities to those. Some survival horror elements mixed in. Uh, you get breakable weapons, you get limited resources, limited ammunition for the, uh, for the projectile weapons that you can use. And there's lots of backtracking, there's lots of inventory puzzles, inventory management, there's very much, I don't think you at any point literally have to put, like, the egg key in the chicken door, but uh, it's it's mm-hmm. it's similar puzzles to, uh, to what you might see in some of those early uh, survival horror type games. I've got to say, the way that you kind of omitted the fact that it was uh, in Aberystwyth, I'm assuming it's because you didn't want to take a crack at uh, having to pronounce that, is a bit of an yes, affront. Correct. And um, it's quite important in terms of like how the team went about some of the some of the research and the location shooting and um, scouting rather for that kind of thing. But there we go. Aberystwyth. Aberystwyth. Okay. Uh, so you, you heard it here. If it is uh, an incorrect pronunciation, it is not my fault. I tried to <laughs> gloss over it. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, that is correct. Uh, so the game was published in uh, Japan by SNK and uh, everywhere else by Infogrames uh, and developed by Sacknoth, which this was uh, not their first game, but it was their first kind of uh, big game. Uh, it was founded, the company that is, by Hiroki Kakuta, uh, who is the uh, composer. If you have heard of him, then you have probably heard of him for being the composer for uh, the Secret of Mana game as well as its sequel, Seiken Densetsu 3. This this fact blew me away because that is yeah. my all-time favorite video game soundtrack. And I like and I, <laughs> I never knew that he went on to any type of uh non composing work. So this was a this was a real treat for me when I discovered that getting ready to play for the show. 
Okay, so uh, art director was uh, Matsuyo Itakura, uh, and then we have uh, a number of designers who worked on this, and per Moby Games, most of the people on this didn't really do much after Kodalka, um, the first Shadow Hearts game was also produced, or I'm sorry, developed by uh, Sacknoth, but after that they went to a different company, so um, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how they held together after that. Sacknoth doesn't seem to have done a ton after that, um, possibly because Kodalka was not the most popular game in the world, but uh, it's it's a cult favorite, I would say. So, and an occult favorite. Brilliant. Thank you. Talk a little bit about the development of uh, of the um, project. It uh, was conceived over three months of research uh, due to staff limitations and the length of development time. It was decided early on that the events of the story would take place over the course of a single night and in a singular location. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it is quite confined, uh, similar to a resident evil um, to a lesser extent, a silent Hill because that's over a full town, but um, yes. And that was a conscious choice given their uh, kind of financial and, and, uh, personnel limitations so uh it is all contained there due to a lack of japanese resources on british architecture kikuta and several staff members made a research research trip to pembrokeshire to see local scenery and church architecture the region's coastal cliffs ancient ruins and weather conditions influenced kudelka's setting and design uh to help cement the visual look of the monastery they wanted to create the development team visited saint david's cathedral they did not copy the the complete layout of the cathedral complex. However, they did reproduce various decorative features and individual room layouts for Kudelka. Uh, a big influence on tone was a series called uh, Karnaki the Ghost Finder, which was a series of occult detective novels uh, in which the eponymous Karnaki would solve mysteries that would have genuine supernatural elements or a deception by entirely human agents who merely wished people to believe it was supernatural. So kind of an X-Files type of thing going on there. It's very, um, you don't necessarily uh, expect that this is going to be the case when you're headed into the monastery, but it's made very clearly, very clear from the jump that uh, there's there's something uh, out of this world, I suppose, happening. Yeah. Uh, I... We will we'll talk. Uh, one of the first things I'm gonna gonna talk about here uh, is that this game is very difficult to find. Um, it is not listed on Open Critic or on Metacritic, which made finding some reviews a little difficult. Uh, it seems to be kind of a middling uh, six or seven out of ten from most outlets that I could locate. Um, players seem to rate it a little bit higher, uh, but it's not. It's not kind of outstandingly high or outstandingly low from what I could see. Um, so it's, it's you know, kind of somewhere in the middle. I, a- anecdotally, I will say, and uh, and we'll see a little bit of this in, in some of our correspondence, but um, anecdotally, it seems like the people who really like this game really, really like this game. Um, but it's kind of shooting itself in the foot a little bit by not being available on any kind of modern hardware. Uh, it never got any ports. It never got any um, uh, digital download distribution type things on any kind of platforms that I was able to find. Uh, and the game is pretty tough to source a secondhand copy of. Now, I think yeah. 
and if I am correct here, that all three of us do in fact have physical copies of Kodalka. Am I correct there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, I received mine uh, as a gift decades ago, literal decades ago, and um, you know had never played it up until this point. Uh, and I still haven't because I did not want to get my PlayStation Three out of its deep dark slumber. So I I elected to um, completely legally play it on a different source, completely legally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) However, uh, while I was getting that completely legal uh, um, copy of the game running, uh, this is where I was going with this entire thing. Uh, The first section of the game where Kudelka breaks into the monastery and... um, and rescues Edward from a demon of some kind. I have seen that probably about a dozen times by now because everything kept screwing up for me in the first actual battle. And that whole section takes place before that battle and you can't skip it. So, um, yeah, I've seen that a lot. It's very, very, uh, upfront about its, uh, um, uh, supernatural resources. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of a little anecdote for me. Uh, so, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about our histories with the game. Um, so, Brian, let's start with you. Uh, I think yeah. that you had not played this prior to uh, the uh, prior to the uh, schedule reflecting that we were going to, in fact, cover Kudelka this year. Is that no. correct? Yeah, that's correct. And and it's funny because I didn't even know, like, I, I had not heard of this as a game until I saw it on our long traffic light sheet for uh, Kane and Rince. So when I first joined the crew a couple of years ago, I was going through that list of games and I saw Kadelka on it and PS1. And I'm like, I'm like, what the heck? And so I looked it up and as soon as I started reading about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is something I want to play for sure. Like, uh, even if it's just as like a curio type thing. And then I kind of started seeing how hard it was to get a hold of. And I just kind of saved up some eBay money over the course of a couple of years and just because I, I resell a lot of different things on eBay and and eventually just pulled the trigger this year to, to get it and, and got it. And I played through it on uh, on an original super gray fading with a dual shock uh, with sticky thumbsticks because that's how they get over time um, uh, PS1. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I played it on a CRT in my basement over the course of the last couple months and um yeah, I really just um, and, and this is isn't quite my thoughts on the game, but like I, uh, I I really just enjoyed the sitting within a controller's length of a CRT and like booting up Kadelka. Like it kind of became like a little bit of a ritual for me over the last few months. So so I, I really uh, enjoyed my time with it. Um, but yeah, so I'd never heard of Kudelka at all. I'd heard of the Shadow Hearts series, uh, but not Kadelka. So it was it was nice to go back and kind of familiarize myself with it uh, through through the podcast. Very cool. Uh, Rich, how about you? I think you uh, are maybe one of the only ones of us who, well, one of the only ones of us, I say there's three of us, Uh, the only one of us who uh, played this game kind of back in the day. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, tell tell me, how do you feel about chairs? Um, Right. Uh, I mean, look, I have very (laughs) disparate and fragmented memories of Cadelga, one of them being fighting an inordinate amount of wooden chairs. And that is kind of like my main abiding memory and selling point for the game. But look, here's the thing, right? On the the Kanerin's traffic lights, 
the obviously you have your red, amber, and green. Amber, of course, representing that you're willing to play it. So when I greened Kadelka, I greened it safe in the knowledge that we would never be covering this game. And <laughs> lo and behold, here we are. Um, I didn't like it in the first instance. It was probably on about 2001 when I played it. I can kind of vividly put it in a space and time of studying for my GCSEs, which is your high level, high school level qualifications here in, in the UK, and looking for something to play. And the, the it's hard to think what would have attracted me to Cadelka. I, I have to believe probably it's because at that kind of tender age, I was looking for something that was nice and long. And Cadelka is a four-disc CD-ROM game. And... You know, games of, of like a similar ilk are things like Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX, and, and probably to a lesser extent Final Fantasy VII that had that three discs. I was like, yeah, look, this is going to be something that tides me over. And it isn't. Like, Adelka is a probably 12-hour game maximum. Um, but looking at the box art on it, there's a quote here. It says, the sexiest horror RPG on the PlayStation, <laughs> which is like an incredibly self-indulgent, boastful claim. And, and I have to think probably 15-year-old Rich maybe thought, yeah, look, this is definitely something up my street. Um, I don't really have fond memories of the game, to be honest with you. Um, you know, apart from the, the anecdote that I shared there about fighting a, sort of a billion and one chairs, it's entirely possible if you don't have your wits about you in this game or you don't have some kind of prior knowledge or cognizance of RPGs that you can put yourself into a, a fail state. And I definitely remember doing that on my first playthrough by just pumping stats into the wrong areas. Um, I think my brother and I eventually did manage to overcome that and we we did get a, a completion but I, I then kind of filed it away in the old um the the kind of lost arc of the covenant style warehouse is something that i'm never gonna have to return to and and here we are in the, the same way that leah emulated it I, I did as well my copy is in my parents uh, attic and because we're in a a, a covid situation at the moment I, I don't have access to that and i didn't want to and emulating it similarly brought with it its own kind of problems but it, it was fun for capturing some really kind of out there slightly insane uh out of sequence non-sequitur uh sort of clips or or images just to kind of get a bit of a laugh out of this but um yeah that's where i stand cool yeah i uh i as i said before i was the one who actually uh suggested this for volume 10 so um i had never played kadelka before uh despite owning a copy of it that was gifted to me uh i really like the Shadow Hearts series, um, or at least I did. I will admit that I have not played them in quite a while, so I hope that they hold up, and I suspect that they probably do, um, but I, I don't have confirmation of that, so um, to be determined, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I uh, attempted to uh, play my discs through my laptop on a um, kind of emulator program that would allow you to do such a thing, but it turned out that it worked better just to uh, use emulated files, so I did that. But I do own a copy of the game. Uh, it's completely legit. And I also got to see some really fascinating bugs when I was trying to get it to work. Um, <laughs> they were uh, quite uh, quite trippy, uh, some of them just rainbows of colors where they shouldn't have been. I didn't really know what the music was supposed to sound like. So when I was hearing some of these music clips kind of mushed together and like very industrial kind of Silent Hill sounding stuff, I'm like, well... I mean, maybe that's just what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> but uh, inevitably, after that point, the game would freeze up and I wouldn't be able to continue. So uh, by the time I actually got to the real music, uh, I I recognized that it was, in fact, very different uh, f 
differ from um from what I actually uh, should have been hearing at that point. Uh, but yes, uh, played through, uh, completed the game. I, I guess I probably spent about somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to twelve hours uh playing, and um, I didn't even use uh save states that much mostly it was just because uh the, the saving is is a little odd in this game and we'll talk about that uh a little bit later but it, it was mostly just if i had to save something and and go away um rather than if i had to save something so that i could go screw up and not have to go back to the last save point um i played about the last three hours of this while my cat was at the emergency vet so at about Two o'clock in the morning, I finished Kadelka uh, while waiting on a call from the vet. Uh, he's fine, by the way. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, the ending was really something else, given the time and conditions <laughs> under which I played it. But uh, we will uh, we'll discuss our our ultimate feelings on this as we uh, as we go through. So uh, this is your spoiler warning. If you have not played Kadelka and you would like to play Kadelka, um, then maybe go do that. If you have a, a way of kind of getting it all together and uh, and allowing yourself to play, uh, there is a lot of story to this game. Um, I will probably throw in a couple of small references to how it connects to Shadow Hearts, but I'm not going to do any major spoilers of that because... Um, I somehow doubt that either of you two are going to run right off and play Shadow Hearts, but you never know. <laughs> uh, and uh, the the audience as well, you know, that this is not... Well, this good is that not you've a... given the spoiler to to all three of the listeners who, who may perhaps want to, to go and play this, this game. <laughs> it's true, yes. I, I You know, if you've made it to this point and you're like, hey, that sounds awesome, I should go run off and do that, then do it, please. I would like to hear from the from you if you, if you end up doing that. But uh, there is there is a pretty convoluted plot um, that, that uh, look behind the scenes here, we have all spent uh, quite a bit of time um, trying to piece together on our Kane and Rin Slack. I was thinking... When- <laughs> I was thinking leading up to this recording, I might have spent as much time reading or looking into the plot of Kadelka as I did playing Kadelka. So I oh, am, yeah, I, I'm really like there's it, it might not be 50 50, but 60 40 at least. So, uh huh. Yeah, there's a um a really interesting YouTube video, and I didn't mention this in my my kind of introduction, but it's just called Kadelga the movie, and somebody stitched together all of the kind of uh, sort of FMV scenes and the in-game cutscenes, and it actually it it does help. Like if you're struggling with the plot <laughs> in any way, maybe worth going that. It's it's about an hour and a half long though, and it's yeah an hour and a half of, of incredibly torturous acting. So there you have it. <laughs> hey, uh, I have thoughts about that. And, uh... <laughs> yes, I and some that that were kind of surprising to me when you brought them up. So we'll yeah. we'll get there uh, here <laughs> shortly. Uh, I I uh, when I was writing up the show notes, I had some. Uh, vi- there's actually more kind of videos exploring the gameplay and story of Kudelka on YouTube than you would think. Um, so I I actually have watched several uh, people's thoughts on usually their first playthrough of of this game and um them finding much to their own surprise that yeah it's kind of janky but it's not bad like there are a lot of really interesting things about it uh so yeah Yeah. let's let's get into some of those so uh we have already mentioned a little bit about the scenario and the setting of this game uh it takes place in 1898 
Uh, can you pronounce it for me again? Rich, <laughs> in in Aberystwyth in Wales. Aberystwyth, okay. In Aberystwyth, Wales, uh, at a place called the Nematon Monastery. Um, as we come into the game, uh, as Kudelka appears on the scene, uh, breaking into the Nimitan Monastery, the place is sort of abandoned. There is a couple living there who uh, present themselves as the caretakers, first of all, and become a you know significant part of the story. However, uh, there aren't... It, it is not a fully up-and-running monastery. Uh, there are no monks there, to the best of my knowledge. There's kind of just a bunch of monsters, plus this this older couple who is uh, is living in kind of one of the wings there. So, um... I've got thoughts on this because, you know, right, yes. the first thing is when when I'm playing Cadelga, it's hard to tell that it's like a period game at the beginning because we've talked about how there's like a, a bit of a lack of verisimilitude in what Cadelga's wearing, obviously. Mm-hmm. And like Edward's kind of dressed, Edward is basically just Brendan Fraser from The Mummy, who is yes. like a timeless <laughs> explorer. Um, and you know, given that it's set in, in England, excuse me, <laughs> given that it's set in, in Wales in the UK, um, you know, like there's a lot of those kind of period homes, those stately homes that keep up that appearance. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that it isn't set in 1898. And it takes a while for us to kind of like establish that it is a period piece. It's mostly just in things like, you know, the types of furniture that's there or the types of equipment that Cadelica and, and that use. And perhaps more along the lines of like the reference material that they've got. So like you, you can't get away from like the absolute like dirge of poetry that's put in this place that kind of reveals that it's of a time and space and, and a mode yeah. of thought as well. I think that doesn't really come to light until James gets to the party. We'll talk about him later, but um, hit like his story interactions and kind of his, his language and his references to just kind of things outside of the monastery where you're playing were the first times that I, that I like started feeling like, Oh, this took place some time ago. Not sure how long, but you know, some time ago and and but until then you're absolutely right like you know Kadelka and and Edward come up at like like at to use a completely probably unfair like um uh comparison it's almost like Leon and Jill you know in Resident Evil 2 like it's just kind of like you know you have your male protagonist and you have your female protagonist and they're going into this unknown creepy setting and it could have been any time period at that point yeah I I agree with that actually I it it could have up until um, up until we really get into some of James's dialogue. It really could have been in almost any time with yeah. these particular characters coming to this abandoned monastery that is kind of just frozen in time, and you know the monastery is of this time and place, but the characters eh, maybe not so much. Um, so it's it is interesting that they yeah. made that choice. I think there's different things. Like it's hard to kind of tell what the function of the place is because it immediately doesn't strike me as like a a kind of religious sort mm. of environment. And mm. you know the the geography of the place is is pretty impossible. Like because of the very sort of um, survival horror style specific camera angles like it's difficult for me to kind of visualize what the the map would be like and it is actually less like labyrinthine than the likes of the spencer mansion in in resident evil one but you know you're going from room to room and it doesn't make a great deal of sense in terms of like what the utility is and and what's happening here until you meet the caretakers and they describe to you a little bit more about like the function of of the environment It, it does almost seem like a more kind of organic 
labyrinth type of thing because instead of having puzzles and um, things that were built in intentionally by the architects like you would in a uh, in a Resident Evil game, it's things like a wall is collapsed or a door is locked or uh, something is blocking a a spot that you would need to progress. Mm -hmm. So it it. In that respect, I think it almost feels more realistic than a uh, than a Resident Evil contrived kind of setting, uh, which is a weird thing to say about a game that you know has all of these monsters and uh, kind of demons and plants and living chairs, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's. They don't make a point to say this has been set up this way. It, it's just kind of how how the monastery grew into being this mm. this thing. Does it feel British though? So, like as a as a British person, like I'm looking at it and I think like you know it, it sort of feels reminiscent of of what's going on there. You've got the kind of grey clouds that we never seem to get away <laughs> from here, and the grey people and the grey atmosphere. Um, and I think for a Japanese developer to kind of set this really kind of interesting, emergent, um, dynamic, eh, dynamics maybe not the right word, but like creative RPG in an English settings, like a real, like a real thrill, I guess, just to sort of get it away from either Japan or like Central Europe, where a lot of these kind of high fantasy things seem to be set. So uh, speaking about the visuals, I, I think that even though they are dated, as we've mentioned, uh, it, it I, the closest thing I can really think of is kind of the um, the Final Fantasy VIII visuals, where the the proportions of the characters are getting closer to being realistic. They're not like the chibi characters or the the you know kind of misproportioned or or anime type characters, but the the fact that they are trying to make them more proportion proportioned more uh, regularly with this type of technology, which isn't quite up to it makes them look a little bit like Barbie dolls or mm -hmm. G.I. Joes. Yeah. You know, they, they like they kind of look realistic, but also the the joints are all wrong and seeing them running around in battles and everything is is not quite what you want. But I think for the time it does look pretty good. Um you have these polygonal characters, you have some genuinely unnerving monsters, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the the monster designs I thought were actually pretty outstanding for for a game like this. Um, what did you guys think of the monster designs? I, I all I could think about Other when I was playing this game is like how they were trying to, like like the limited tool set they were using to try to convey things like tentacles and like ghosts and kind of like wispy kind of. Uh, materials not just the chairs we're gonna talk about the chairs a lot but um <laughs> or like or like sometimes you know like there's the one kind of set of boss fights where it's these kind of like prisms with these little crystals rotating around them but 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 really the the character design the the monster designs like they, they were able to convey very effectively what they were trying to get across and uh, I think it only got better as it went, because as you go on, you kind of encounter a little bit more hideous kind of deformed creatures. Um, we'll talk about Roger Bacon later and what he looked like. Um, <laughs> we sure but, will. <laughs> but I really do think it, it was effective. And it had that kind of, I always want to call it uh, body horror, but it's not body horror because it's not the human body. It's like kind of like that just like grotesque kind of deformed horror to some of these monsters that I think yeah. were really effective. They've really leaned into that kind of like sort of, eldritch horror kind of thing 
you know um mm-hmm. like i don't know like if you look at some of its contemporaries you know you got the likes of final fantasy 9 vagrant story uh spiral where they're really kind of trying to create polygonal enemies and stuff that have character and there's quite a lot of the enemies here that feel disturbing not because of the character but because of the way that they kind of shuffle and shamble you know there's a couple of enemies um i can't remember what the name of the enemy is that they've basically just inverted they've flipped him upside down on the ceiling and he just walks on the ceiling and that in and of itself is kind of terrifying um mm. but the actual character model itself is fairly straightforward it's just a, a man with three heads <laughs> poking on one side <laughs> and a pistol yeah but um you know for the most part it's very effective as you go on later in the game brian as you mentioned you get things like a black cat and a single raven that you're fighting against and that kind of stuff and they look really sort of good and, and realistic given where you are um it's just that you don't really have a great deal of autonomy over the camera and um, how you view the the enemies. So it's not like a, a showcase of the character models itself, at least in my opinion. It's more just a kind of like they're there and you just get to enjoy them on a very prescribed, prescripted um Do you have any way. autonomy over the camera? I don't remember so, being able to, to move it at all. I got into the final boss and realized that you can rotate the camera on an axis uh, because you oh, just don't God, need really? to do it throughout the game. Yeah, it's just not <laughs> yeah. necessary. It's just a... like. Oh, a, yeah. No, I never never once, not, not once did I do that in the entirety of the game. But you well. can't... I don't think you can zoom in, but it does that whole, you know, you'll attack and it'll, it'll go through a motion and it'll give you like a nice kind of directed... Um, scripted scene yeah that that focuses in on what edward doing the cross or anything like that for the billionth time in your playthrough (laughs) he's very big into uh um crossing himself um yeah i i i had no idea that you could do that so um the the battles the battles are random but when you are in kind of your uh your battle scene it is it does take it uh, into kind of a separate battle scene a la a final fantasy 7 or a final fantasy 8 or 9 um where you're not fighting on the field itself or or fighting like you would in a resident evil that is something that is different uh right. is you do have that kind of jrpg trope of going into uh, a separate scene for your your uh combat and uh, you are on a grid which is a little bit unusual for a straight up jrpg uh, that's not billed kind of as a tactics game, but uh, in the exploration parts, you are dealing with those fixed camera angles like a Resident Evil and a Silent Hill um, would have. So, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult to kind of find your way around in some places. And uh, for my money, the uh, the map was absolutely terrible and I hated it, which is bad because I am a person who needs a map in a game like this. So um, I I, did that. Did that affect you guys at all? Not really having a a map or were you able better than I to uh, kind of find your way around and, and get that cemented in your head without it needing to be there. So I was, I was very bad with that. Um, it got to the point, especially, I want to say it was just after you encounter the thief, we'll talk about later, um, mm-hmm. and um, well, anyway, the, the party gets separated at one point, and, uh, and you're playing Justice Katelka, and, and you kind of have to make your way, make your way back to the library, everybody keeps saying that, make your way back to the library, and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, and th- the reason was, I think the visual language combined with how dark and grim everything was. There would be lots of times where I didn't realize there was a door or like a wall that I could walk through. 
because of how it was either colored or shaded or whatever. So like I was back and forth in between these two or three rooms a hundred times getting into a, a ton of, you know, random battles. And it turned out that there was a path off the one room I needed to go through. I just I just couldn't see it. Like my brain couldn't compute and make sense that that was a doorway or like an archway or whatever. And that happened to me a number of times. And the map really was not useful to me. And it actually got to the point where um, at, during that particular section, I pulled up a video walkthrough and walked and went to that area to be like, what am I missing? And it wasn't that I would missed an item or like a cutscene. It was just literally hey, what you thought was an impenetrable wall just has a hole in it you can walk through. And so yeah. that was literally it. And it's a real shame because it's not actually big. Like, in terms of, like, walking from one side of the, quote, map to the next, it, you know, if if you take away the random battles, you can probably probably do it in a matter of minutes, maybe five minutes. But the the issue that I've got is, like, there's a real verticality about this. So if you look at it, it's kind of contemporaries, like Resident Evil, one and two and probably to a lesser extent three they've got those very real like they feel real those buildings that make sense yeah the 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 mansion feels like a mansion and it works in the same function you've got a dining room and a kitchen and all sorts of different bits and bobs there And, and similarly with the police station like functionally you can understand what's going on there but this this map is just absurd you begin in the attic of i think a stable or something like that and then you go down and then you and then you're in like a chapel and then you're in a um i don't even know what it is like a sort of a botany kind of greenhouse type thing and and they're all connected in this absurd way that doesn't really sort of track or follow ultimately you end up in a a sub-basement where there's like an occult sort of weird shrine with souls and stuff coming out of it looks like something more out of like a mortal Kombat game out of the nether realm Mm. Uh, it's just really tricky to kind of understand how the rooms fit together and, and to kind of make sure that you, you've got a sense of where you need to be and where you came from. And I found this especially frustrating at the end of the game where you need to go and collect the equipment to, to build a, um, a like a bomb out of um, nitroglycerin because trying to remember, number one, trying to remember where that was in, in like a map that makes no sense and with visual fidelity that isn't really clear. Like things don't look like they yeah. perhaps did in... 1999-2000 and then trying to find out and and to think logically through where you need to go I just found it to be really tricky Um, but I I did a very similar thing had to consult a quick guy just to try and make sure that I'm on the right right straight and narrow so I think the Resident Evil games solve this a little bit more uh, and if anybody wonders why we're comparing this to Resident Evil a lot it's like it not just because it's survival horror like the isometrics like pre-rendered background rooms are I mean it looks you could have swapped some of these rooms out for Resident Evil 1 and back and forth, and it would have you could have believed either of these was, was in either game. So it just has a, a lot of visual similarity to it. But like what I think Resident Evil did, and I can't remember if 1 did this, I know 2 did, but like anytime you had an item around that was interactable at all, it would have that weird little blink, that like flash blink to it. And Kadelka doesn't have that. So a lot of times I'd be looking for more pistol rounds for Kudelka. She she uses a gun. At least she I had her primarily use a pistol in, in my playthrough. And there would be bullets kind of all over the place, but there was no nothing really showing me it was there. You could you could see once you actually accidentally found one, you could see that the box was like modeled in game. But what that just led me to doing is I would just walk around every room along the perimeter, just spamming the X button, <laughs> yeah, just to same. see if there was anything to pick up at all. And now, that was a pretty, it actually, that strategy worked out pretty good. It, 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 it didn't stop me from finding much. I found most of the most of the things that you need, in quotes, to find in the game without um, a guide. But it was kind of just, it kind of like took you out of it. Like, 
I don't I don't know if there's a better balance to strike, but there was sometimes there was like I have no idea if I'm gonna find something here or not, and then I'm slamming on X and I'll be like, oh, here's a bottle of list Lister, what um the the mana stuff, and then um but then other times would be like, here's this guard's diary that gives you 20 pages of lore, you know what I'm like, holy cow, uh, like you know what am I um like what am I doing, you know so like it did feel like you had that moment of I don't know if every room I got what I was supposed to get there, but you just kind of had to you know force your way through. Now I will say that I did miss something very important, and I won't say that this is necessarily. 100% due to the visuals because I still don't know where it was. So was it the pe- I was it I, a pendant? Yeah. Oh yeah. So there's a pendant that if you miss it, you just straight up get the bad ending. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah. it. You walk into the final boss fight and she kills you immediately. <laughs> there is an alternate way to get it and I did have to look that up because at a certain point you get closed off from there is mm-hmm. a point of no return where you just get closed off from uh from the bulk of the uh the monastery so you can't go back and like just go around and look for whatever you missed you just kind of have to figure it out or suck it up and accept that you got the really bad ending so um yeah i i i don't i i don't know why i missed it i don't know if i just walked right by it i don't know if i went to the wrong place i don't i, I have no idea i just I know that i there's was no way of knowing like there was no indication yeah. that you would need to to do that right which feels like until very... you get to that last point you when you go to when you go to like enter the room where she's gonna be it says something like you don't have um i, I don't remember whether it actually says yeah, you don't like, have the pendant you feel uneasy because you don't have your pendant or something like this yeah but at that point <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it yeah. there, well, there is but like it, it is very hidden essentially there is th- that black cat enemy uh that we mentioned um you go you have to go to a very specific spot in the 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 final kind of tower and find this black cat enemy and it will drop the pendant but there's no indication of that yeah. like there, how are you supposed to yeah. know that um i guess well, you would just have to kind of keep running around and hoping that something happened uh but yeah i i i really screwed that part up for whatever reason mm. a final thing on the the visuals before we sort of set off under the the audio and the the story and such is like a thing that Final Fantasy often gets criticized about certainly the PS1 generation Final Fantasies is the dissonance between the kind of open world or the outer world maps and the actual in battle scenes and that's like even more prominent in Cadelica where the um the isometric survival horror style view like the transition into the actual battle scenes is is night and day there's none of the characteristics or any of the background that you would have in Mm, the room that you're sitting in or even any indication that you're actually in the same room at all it's just a a very generic blank field so if that's something that you're sensitive to then you know cadelga is not probably going to feel very natural for you you know that's a good point i didn't even think about that but you're right it doesn't matter whether you're getting in a fight in the stables or in the kitchen or in like the in the the cemetery prison <laughs> or whatever you know um it's you you do just kind of have that same kind of black and, and like the enemies kind of fade in from the back of the grid um i is it too or can we talk about the battle system a little bit or are we gonna get to sure. that later? i so when so when i saw the grids first set up and it's me and, excuse me Kadelka and edward at first and then james later i was really excited because i thought like it felt like a bit of a tactical type of map you know, I start mm-hmm. start moving my, you know, like pieces around. I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to be 
like I'm gonna have to like worry about positioning and worry about this, worry about that. And and some of that ended up being a little bit true um when it comes to like casting magic spells and things, but in reality, like I got it got to the point where I was if there was a like a spam escape button towards the end, I would have been doing that because <laughs> What I found is that I would end up in almost every battle except for the boss battle, and I don't know why. Maybe something was broken with my game, and you can tell me if you guys had this experience. I felt like Edward was getting like four or five turns for every time Kadelka or James got to do anything. Was that was that the same in so your guys? Probably the way that your your character build is set up, like yeah, you know, pumping stats into agility means that you just get loads of, of turns. I mean, yeah. I, I had a very kind of different but albeit problematic experience with with the way that i did it um you know just to your point on the the tactical stuff like i was like not excited like i'm not a natural (laughs) tactical player and so the idea of spending my time trying to work out okay how am i gonna reposition edward in such a way that i'm just out of reach of of the character that that would have probably been quite an onerous and, and miserable task and it really makes absolutely no difference whatsoever like the only conceit that there is is the enemies cannot progress beyond the character that is closest to them. So um, if you've got a caster or a magic user, you can just sit them way off in the background and have your tank just stand there and form like a, a nice kind of line to make sure that nobody gets past there. And, and you know, it's a very, very easy battle. Um, just from a tactical perspective, I think there's probably a lot more that they could have done just to try and sort of take advantage of, of the, the, the grid-based type stuff that they, they yeah. did and they just didn't bother. And... Yeah, it's uh, by the same token, uh, and this was something that actually I found kind of frustrating, was you also can't cast spells past the enemy if one of them gets kind of up towards you. Like, if Mm -hmm. you have, I I had a couple of uh, places where I wanted to either heal or, um, in in a couple of cases, to uh, raise, to resurrect one of my characters who had died, usually Edward, because he was always the one up in their face. <laughs> um, but if they were to kill Edward and then step past him, you can't cast a raise spell past them to yeah. hit him. It just, it just would basically right. tell you yeah. no. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, it didn't come up that often, but it was... I mean, it, it got frustrating when, like, the character was on one side of the screen and I was trying to cast in a direct line to them, but I couldn't do it because on the other side of the screen, the enemy was, you know, one square past him. Uh, right. I would just say, you can't go past the monster. Well, I'm not trying to. He's, I have a direct line of sight. I'm just trying to cast this spell at him. Um, but yeah, it, it, like I said, not, not a huge issue, but it did come up a few times. Um the other thing about the um, kind of the grid-based system is that they do use it a couple of times, uh, and I'm thinking specifically of the one battle with Alias, the thief, where you have to destroy the um, the boxes, I, I think mm-hmm. it is, just like the crates, that are in the battlefield before you can actually hurt him. But it doesn't tell you that. What it tells oh, you is yeah. that you missed him uh, if you if you try to attack him <laughs> yeah. before those things are gone. And it doesn't matter whether he's currently behind them or not. If they are on the battlefield, you have to destroy them before you can attack him. And it's uh, the only just, battle in the miss. game that does that. The only one as well. It's like yeah. a, it's it's really interesting. No, that is way too generous. It is a slightly more interesting <laughs> fight than your normal fight. But you know the fact that like this is what I'm talking about. Like, there's a lot more that they could have done just to flex that and without kind of jumping too far ahead they don't return to this in shadow hearts and i think it's a real shame that 
I mean, maybe there is, but it's a real shame that there isn't a series that I know of that kind of uses this in a much more kind of uh, creative way and, and dynamic way than what Cadelga does. I specifically remember the battle with, it was probably the battle I struggled with the most of the game. It was early on, I think it was in disc one, with like, sh- there were like shadow versions of Cadelka, Edward, and James mm-hmm. on the field. And I just, I got so caught up with trying to position my players like in the right way. Oh, I'm going to attack this person, attack this person, attack this person. And I didn't realize that you couldn't attack past the first enemy in the field. And what all I really needed to do was move all three of my characters right up front and just all three bash on one and then bash on the next and bash on the next. That's how I ended up doing it. But my my video game brain was like, okay, I'm going to position my mage here and do this and do that. And and in reality, what I what I found and Rich, you mentioned this in the Slack chat, and I appreciate it for you. Uh, appreciate you uh, uh, sharing it. Was basically if you had enough HP on your characters, you could just bash through anybody eventually. Like you know, just have one person in the back to kind of raise everybody else up. And then if the other ones are up front, just with a you know like a huge pool of HP, there wasn't a lot of actual strategizing to uh, to the battles, which I which would I don't normally mind in JRPGs, but like these battles last a long time because there's the mm-hmm. animation for the characters to move grids, and then they're like they've got to come out of their resting kind of like up and down pose. Um, the motion I'm making in my chair right now is very strange, but like you know they're kind of like <laughs> swaying back and forth, and they stop that. Then they get their move animation. Then they stop that. Then they attack. It's just kind of like just just as long winded as me explaining it is how long it takes. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so some of these battles where you're not really gaining much XP, and it might have been the fifth one you've had in between one story beat and the next, and you're just kind of sitting there like this is going to be three minutes before I I'm done beating these chairs up. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah. it can be it can be very time consuming in so- that regard. 15 year old me in 2001 felt this game is a really hard game um and it's because i hadn't just just hadn't experienced games that allowed you the amount of creativity and and flexibility that cadelic offers you in actually min maxing a character there's a statistic for uh dealing damage there's obviously you know fundamental stuff statistics for dealing damage statistics for uh, the amount of times that you get a turn in the turn order the amount of hit points that you've got but it was beyond my comprehension at the time to understand that there is a, a stat for actually connecting hits. Like you need a certain amount of dexterity in order to to ensure that you can have a hit. So, it, it, as a fifteen year old, I had this incredibly powerful glass cannon who maybe hit like one out of ten attacks, and uh, that's not the right way to play Cadelga. Providing that you, I mean, the way that I played it this time was to basically just pump all my stats into damage output and making sure that they get hit and then whatever was left was going straight into um i forget what it is called i'm afraid it's it's the amount the frequency with which you can hit and like by the end of the game it was just one shotting absolutely yeah one shotting absolutely everything in the game and and it made it like a lot more swift and and just to sort of exemplify that i think i came in at about nine hours to finish the game there is one exception to that and there's a boss an optional boss at the end of disc three um which has like a almost like an affinity um it will change stance and in one stance it'll absorb all attack damage done by physical and it'll replenish its health using that and in another stance it'll replenish all its health using magic and it's a it's a real kind of crapshoot like the rng is really quite particular there and there's no way to predict it so quite often i found that i was just massively healing it as opposed to actually doing the, the amount of damage because <laughs> right. he couldn't predict what was going on but yeah as i say it's it's an optional boss so you don't really need to worry about it yeah and i appreciate that um you did that before me because uh, i didn't have any trouble with that boss because i knew what i did what to expect <laughs> um 
So uh, thanks for taking the hit on that one. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the the uh, to kind of swing back around um, the the visuals I felt in the battles were not that satisfying mm. for hits. Um, they could be like if you landed a really good spell on an enemy, the reactions. Uh, if they actually ended up falling down. I, I don't know. I, I think what I'm getting at is that it a lot of the time it didn't feel like particularly the physical attacks had a lot of weight to them. I agree. Um, yeah. yeah. In, con in like contrast just... to the magic as well. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. this game does this this thing that I think is um, quite funny, which is basically like your in, in initial starting magic has the, this epic name. So, you know, if you kind of grew up on Final Fantasy, you're used to fire fire one fire two not in Cadelica, it's like flare straight away geyser and you've got all these attacks that just feel powerful and and yeah. to, to some extent they, they really are so uh you've heard us mention uh about the main cast and i think this is a good point to kind of pop in and uh, and talk about them a little bit uh so your party is made up of three members you start off with Kudelka, who is uh a gypsy uh who is breaking into this monastery because she has uh, received some kind of uh, mental cries for help from someone she doesn't know who uh, in in this monastery so she is here to figure out what's going on there uh, and and to help whoever it is if she can Edward is our second uh, party member that is Edward Plunkett, who I think, Brian, you said uh, as we were coming in, um, the most boring name possibly in the world. Yeah, I, it just, um, I, I don't know. It's just like <laughs> Edward Plunkett. Like, I don't, I don't know why. It just, like, to me, it didn't feel... Now, don't get me yeah. wrong. Not every game has to be Kadelka Iasant, you know? But um, <laughs> I don't know. There was just something about him like yeah, a good old Eddie Plunks there. I don't know. There, it, something about it just didn't feel very... Uh, I don't know. I, it just yeah. it had no... It, it actually ropes around back to kind of how I feel about his character as a whole, but we'll talk about that in a bit. But, like, let me just drop this on you, right? Edward Plunkett is based on, like, a real person who is actually Lord Edward Plunkett Dunsany, who is this, like, renowned English, like, I want to say sci-fi, but, I mean, we're talking, like, 1800 sci-fi, so, like, what that means to you is, is unsure. But this is a man who's had, like, influences on the likes of Arthur C. Clarke, H.P. Lovecraft, Tolkien, Neil Gaiman, and Guillermo del Toro. And in this game, Edward is... And they made him into a dude who punches stuff. Yeah, they and, and even like if a they womanizer. they just called him Lord Edward Plunkett, I would have been like, here we go. <laughs> I would have been, I don't know why. It, it, maybe that's not fair. I just, it's, for some reason, it just bored me to tears from I the mean, outset. We, we'll get there, but the, the drunk scene um, it oh, is yes. the best example of um, Edward's character. Um, um, and I'm really looking forward to getting into that. <laughs> Yeah, it's well. At least when you first meet him, Edward is kind of presented as the uh, rough and tumble everyman type of dude. Uh, he's an adventurer. He's your kind of Indiana Jones stand-in who is in here for fortune and glory. Like, you know, <laughs> but he's and, also and only he's that. also real dumb because Kudelka yeah, straight up tells right. him. She's like, I'm not eating that food. He's like, but I'm starving. And then he just eats all that food. And then like two rooms later, he's like, ah, oh, the poison. She's like, yeah, I smelt it. I told you. <laughs> like, I don't know what you were doing there, <laughs> plunky boy. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, so there's Edward. Uh, and then our third party member is uh, James O'Flaherty, who is not a priest. He is a bishop. He's very uh, keen on letting you know that. He's also incredibly racist. Um, so he's a real fun guy to have around. Um, yeah. Thoughts thoughts on James? <laughs> so, you know, when he's not thumping his Bible, he's like bickering uh -huh. with everybody for the sake of bickering. I mean, yeah. like the amount of... So you will argue that black is white. You'll come in and like Edward is... Like by this point, Edward has been poisoned by these two individuals, Ogden and Bessie Hartman. And obviously they've shown that they're hostile towards them. And despite that, James can't quite understand that. He sort of sees them as salt of the earth Welshmen. Uh, and it's his responsibility to make sure that their name isn't sullied because it's, it's slander. Like the ban is reprehensible i, I yeah, guess yeah. and racist but you know he, he does have a, an arc in this story and it is somewhat interesting yeah once you once you find out kind of why he's there specifically and and it, it doesn't really make him better it but it does it does give his character more to work with i think i do um, the thing i do like about him is exactly what you're talking about leah because he to me is the person with the most actual reason to be there. For sure. Like yeah. Kadelka's just like, I heard voices, so I'm coming here. Yeah, and Edward's and, just and, like, treasure. And then like, you know, and but like James is like, uh, the Vatican is missing documents. Also, I love this woman. Also, I used to work with this guy. It's like, whoa. <laughs> like he's got a lot, a lot going on, a lot of reasons uh, to be there. Uh but he does yeah, almost almost like he should have been the main protagonist, except that he's <laughs> yeah. horrible. So he's nobody horrible. would have liked him <laughs> yeah. for, liked it for him to be the one that you were actually following around. Yeah. And he creates he creates so much conflict within the party constantly. It's just him and Edward kind of yelling at each other and then every once in a while Kadelka will say something like vaguely dismissive of Christianity and then Edward and James will both just yell blasphemy, you know, and uh, <laughs> um but it does it does There is a lot her, of yelling at blasphemy yeah. in this game, yeah. <laughs> there's some, it's, it's there's very some, true. some weird racist ideological three stooges energy happening in this <laughs> in this main cast. Um but yeah, well, it's James does kind of add um, all, all, almost all of the story as the game goes along. Mm. And then uh, Kadelka and Edward just kind of, you know, are involved via proxy to him, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. terms of like an arc between the three of them, I'm not sure if they ever come around to finding any unity in between the three of them. They're clearly all there for 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 different reasons and. You know, ninety nine percent of that game is Edward just and Kadelka have some unity by the end of the game, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> there is that, of course. Yeah, depends on the uh, the outcome that you get. I'm sure at the end. True. But um, yeah, James is is interesting because I don't even know if James like is the most evil person there because like without sort of like jumping the gun a bit here and there's a there's a pun in there. There's a point in which you fight this thief alias who's there just to say like he reveals that the Ogdens are the the, the caretakers who are there m murder any trespassers into the game because um of a of a point in the game where the main antagonist um elaine hayworth it was murdered by trespassers by um muggers who came in just to try and steal some stuff and like um edward uh sorry james is like okay like um what are you some kind of immigrant and he goes yes i'm an immigrant but i'm also a thief or something like this and then edward just point blank pulls out a gun and just shoots him for for seemingly no reason and it's like he's supposed to be the likable one this guy's the brendan fraser like I, i'm not really sure what's going on here yeah totally and it's his, just wild and his excuse for doing that was well he attacked us once he'll attack us again 
you know, and and kind of like James is just oh, very like, Christian are, of him. Like I'm gonna like yeah, James is gonna like either try to save him or turn him in or something. And meanwhile, Kadelka is just like hearing voices and like <laughs> and you know like trying to move through. It is there's not really. I guess maybe that is why Kadelka is the main character, right? Because she is. I wouldn't even call her likable, but she's the least hateable of the three of them. <laughs> That's it, sure. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's she's not she is not exactly a um uh well, I, I guess like you guys were saying, it, she's not really a likable person. She she kind of has a um a very sharp attitude, which mm -hmm. I I appreciate. I <laughs> go get them, but uh yeah, I, she's not kind of the um agreeable and uh personable and uh you know, wants to please everybody and wants to solve everybody's problems she's there to stop these voices in her head from screaming yeah. at her uh yeah. and you know i that's that's totally fine she doesn't she doesn't need to kiss up to anybody to to kind of make everything pleasant for them she's just there to do what she needs to do and um, and she could have just left Edward for dead at the beginning. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? She could have just walked right by him, and um, uh, but instead she you know heals him. And and I do think that's kind of refreshing because there's not many games we talk about this a lot, especially on this podcast, like of the anti-hero or the hero. But these these aren't. I would wouldn't classify any three of these as heroes. They're just kind of flawed, like some worse than others. Just kind of like people with their own motivations making their way through a very difficult situation. And in that, and in that way, I I do relate to these characters in a way, you know, or at least specifically to, to Kadelka, just kind of like trying to do her own thing for her own reasons without really wanting much outside interference, but just it kind of just presents itself in her way a little bit. And you're right, she doesn't give a crap about what anybody else really thinks about her motives or point of views. And I kind of that's one of the things I like the most about her. So I don't know. It's it's. It's interesting to have those as our protagonists, especially during the era like where our protagonists were normally, you know, Joe somebody saves the world type of situation. Yeah. So this is this is definitely a unique breath of fresh air in that direction. So James yeah. really drives the plot forward, but I think the most fascinating scene in the game is actually something that didn't need to be in there from a sort of like pushing the the plot forward. It's the the drunk scene and forgive me if this is going a, a bit far ahead, but we could potentially not talk about this so there's a scene just before um i want to say like 90 percent into the game where kadelka and edward are waiting for james to create a, a nitroglycerin bomb so that they can get into the chapel to to fight elaine and in order to kind of pass the time what they decide to do is get absolutely trolleyed on on whatever sort of whiskey stores there and james is is giving out about it and he's like oh you, you just don't understand like by the time that i grew up all of the jungles have been explored. All of the adventures have been had. Any land which was sort of conquered has already been explored by the English. And I want to create my name. And then Kadelka essentially kind of holds my beers, James, and he, he, he <laughs> she says, "Um, like you know, as a as a as a gypsy, I was cast out of my community for having psychic powers. I never knew love." I was a, a prostitute at the age of nine because I had no family and no means to support myself. You'll never understand what's going on here. And it's like, Kadelka up until that point felt just very stoic and cold to me. And actually, in that one moment, you get a sense of like, okay, here's somebody who's really kind of gone through a lot, feels like she was 
deprived of a childhood and wants to support other people who are enduring the pain that she has. And I think it's why there's such a kind of nice affinity between the likes of Charlotte and, and uh, Cadelga. Charlotte being the, mm. the young girl who will will come to, no doubt. Yeah, I, and I, I actually, um, what I wanted to tie this into uh, was the voice acting, um, which... I kind of have mixed feelings on, but Brian, I know that you in particular uh, have some things to say about this. Yeah. So um, I go, you you go. <laughs> I think the voice acting in Kadelka is not bad, and that's the nicest thing I can say about <laughs> it. Um, when when I sent a message to to you two on on the Canaan Slack saying, "Hey, I don't think this voice acting is that bad," I got I got kind of the the like <laughs> like like text-based scoffs a little bit like you know like like oh, i'm not sure i agree with that or well to each their own you know kind of like those opinions back um but i find it even more so watching the videos afterwards and, and kind of reading up on the on the game there is so much bad dialogue in video games like both print and spoken and especially early voice acting like you just got the the opinion that they just got people that were working on the game to do voice acting sometimes it was better sometimes it wasn't but all of the dialogue in this game is just like dripping with melodrama like all the time and the i think that the character performances are surprisingly understated for what some of the content is um now i already joked about them shouting blasphemy and i made the i, I quoted james at the very beginning of this episode but i really think that while this voice acting isn't it's by no means up to any standard we would hold voice acting to today I was expecting playing a PlayStation 1 game with these kind of CG, you know, interludes and and voice acting in these sections. I was expecting it to be much worse than it was. So I was pleasantly surprised um, by some of the interaction. I legitimately think that the the interaction between the Hartmans and Kadelka and Edward at the beginning of the game was was a well-acted scene. I didn't have any problems with any of that. Um, some of the stuff towards the end, like some of like the Roger Bacon stuff is kind of, it's funny. Um, maybe not for the reasons they wanted it to be or, or, but, uh, but I do, I do think this could have been much, much worse. And, and frankly, by the end of it, I, I appreciate, I felt that all, like I came to recognize their voices and recognize, you know, their points of views and their moods based on how they were talking. So to me, it was at least a successful attempt at voice acting. Now, please tear apart my opinions. <laughs> couple, a couple of things, Brian. Okay, so, but you know, it might surprise you to find that, like, I largely agree with that, and and like, I was thinking about this today. So, like, it's consistent, and and I think that's really important. Like, the performances are consistent throughout. There's, I think, it would be very so. I struggle today to understand if when they were in the recording studio, they were acting against one another or they were acting in independently uh, independently of one another, uh, just reading the lines out and they were stitched together. There's a couple of instances where it feels a little bit disjointed because they're talking over one another and, and not in an especially natural way, but it's not anything to be concerned about. I think where the voice acting is the strongest is in the likes of the the scene where they're, they're getting drunk because it's almost like a dramatic monologue and they're not trying to act against one another. They're just working with this script, which is largely okay, I guess. There's some real sort of gnarly bits of drama. Have you seen the um, the section where James learns that Elaine's dead and he just screams yeah. to the heavens? Uh, yeah. That's, that's a, a rough no. one. 
But yeah, that, that has very much uh, the end of Star Wars Episode Three with Darth Vader's going <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> like, there's a lot. Of, there is a lot of that there. I uh, no doubt. No doubt. But like you know, like the you know, we I've, I've ripped into them for having like this constantly bickering, but it's a consistent bickering, and and you feel like there's like a, a real tension between the two of them, and and that performance doesn't dip. I think where I find it really tough is, and this might just be because of my nationality, is like. This is a fully American voice cast, and it's clearly recorded in like a Santa Monica studio in the late '90s. So it's got all the kind of like hissing and sort of audio distortion that you would expect of the yeah. time. And it's really kind of tough to think of James O'Flaherty, the Irish <laughs> uh, bishop, and he wants you to know that he's a bishop when he's speaking with this like fully Californian accent. The same with Cadelka and Edward. Um, yeah. I will say that I um, would rather this than have them try to do Welsh accents poorly. <laughs> yeah, ah, for sure. but I, um, I don't know. I, my opinion on the voice acting has softened a bit because as I have been doing research, I've also watched a little bit of Shadow Hearts stuff, and the Shadow Hearts voice acting is atrocious. So. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, for the time, a lot of games of this type didn't even have voice acting, uh, and a lot of the voice acting that they did have in this kind of uh, era, I guess, was a lot worse than this. So I, yeah. I don't think that this is great, but I think that the, the actors did actually pull off what they had in, a, in an acceptable manner, at least, yeah. if, if, if I wouldn't exactly call them good. So on top of that as well, and, and this is a four-disc game for a PlayStation 1, and it's, mm -hmm. it's nine hours long, so you know that a lot of the performance is actually in the audio. And to support that performance as well, one thing I do want to kind of um, praise it for is the animations in the character models in those diorama scenes is really good, to the point where mm -hmm. I had a moment in where I was like, okay, this feels motion-capped, even though it clearly is keyframe animation because of the way that they move. There's uh, some instances where you get like a frame lift um, almost and, and you see the characters moving this nice, really smooth, natural motion as well. And I think that's a, a great success and adds a bit of kind of um, legitimacy to the performance. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so to go along with the vocal performances, we briefly mentioned the music previously. The soundtrack by Hiroki Kikuta, um, who, as we mentioned before, had previously done music for Secret of Mana and Seiken Densetsu 3. Um I like the tracks. It's just that there's only like two of the <laughs> two or three. Um, the battle music is pretty repetitive, I find. I um, love it. I love it. I really do. It sounds like somebody's just gone buck wild on the synthesizer. You know, they're like, right, let's get the panpipes in there and just start like jamming <laughs> out to it. I, I think it's really good. It's a real like positive for me. And I, I can't say that I ever got like sick of the. No, the boss music's really good. The. The battle music in general is pretty dull. I mean, it doesn't inspire any sense of like action. It's so like lilting and slow and stuff. But yeah, Brian, I, I bet you've got thoughts on this. Well, yeah i I think the battle theme itself is pretty good. Um, it's it's unique to a JRPG for sure. Um, the like the kind of synthesized mandolin that kind of pushes it along, I think, is great. 
Um, and I think the boss battle theme is pretty cool too. In fact, after watching so many videos on my phone, my four-year-old son would look over and be like, he'd be like, I like that song. I'm like, yeah, me too, dude. You know? <laughs> so like, uh, but the thing is that you hear them a lot. Um, and with nothing else to break it up, the sound of the main battle theme to me, it became, so like it went from, I really liked it and I still do like in a bubble, but to like any time I'd get whisked away to a battle and that theme start playing, I would just be like, come on. Like, I'm just trying to get to, you know, the next part, the next segment, the next scene. So it kind of became the symbol of my annoyance with the playthrough. So like, so I can't full, I can't keep them completely separate in my brain at this point. I think it feels like it sort of puts it in a time and place as well. Like, I don't necessarily think, yeah, yeah. okay, this this panpipe and harpsichord solo really makes me feel of, like, 1890s uh, Wales, you know, but um, it, it drags ah, it yes. into a, a The 1890s Welshman skipping around <laughs> with his pan flute as the harpsichord follows dutifully along in the background. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, uh, like, uh, it, you know, very early on, it's like, okay, I'm anchored, I'm anchored in this space and time because of, uh, because of this music. It's just um, nine hours in, like, two or three tracks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's grating and it's, it's exhausting. Yeah, you don't really, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you don't really have background music when you're just kind of traversing the environment, That's right. do you? It's, yeah, I it's mean, pure you do in some of the, uh, the scenes... But even then, it's not always. It's mostly in the battles. So it, it's, you know, th those background tracks are the ones that you are going to hear by far the most out of anything, um, which is, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. I kind of like would have liked the uh, the version that I almost got with with the uh, the kind of glitches in the emulation software. Um I'm telling you, it was it was very Silent Hill, um, very Akira Yamaoka. Um, it it had a lot of uh, kind of stuttering, and uh, it was it was fascinating. But it was not uh, it was not melodic. It was not panpipes. It was definitely not Welsh. So um, I'd like to give it you a know, go. I guess yeah, it it was it was something else. <laughs> the only other track that I can think of is there's a single track where it's the scene where James is learning that Elaine has. Um, unfortunately been murdered uh, a while back and he screams in the heavens there's just this like super powerful totally disproportionate like children's voice choir like like i don't know there's like a hundred different voices in it singing this latin song and it's like wow okay uh probably a bit too much for the occasion like i'm already struggling with the uh overacting <laughs> right <here. laughs> yeah they really wanted to drive that home uh, overacting, over singing, it's uh, it's it's what they do. I wasn't saying um, that it was universally better than bad. I just mean <laughs> as a whole, it was better than bad. That's all I meant. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I I would agree with that. Uh, it is it is definitely better than bad, and it definitely could have been worse. Which isn't exactly a glowing endorsement, but uh, it it is. Uh, I I don't think that it was uh, that it was bad at all, actually. So. Um, we have brought up uh, some of the NPCs that you meet along the way, and I'd like to move along to um, to kind of explain them a little bit more, um, particularly um, Ogden and Bessie Hartman, who we brought up a couple of times, and Elaine Hayworth, who is kind of the, the big bad, um, the big bad that you face. She's yeah. not necessarily the big bad behind the scenes nope. um it, it's kind of not her fault that she's the big pad right but, yeah um, exactly 
but it's important. Uh, she she is very important to the plot, so um, I want to definitely give some attention to her. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. This is this is where the uh, the capital P plot of Kudelka starts to happen. <laughs> um, so I, I I will start, and uh, you all can jump in when I start to um, sweat and and founder and uh, and as I certainly will. So Kudelka arrives at this monastery uh, and rescues Edward. Um, Edward uh, and Kadelka later meet James. Uh, this is after they have met Ogden and Bessie. Ogden and Bessie are the caretakers of the monastery uh, who have been there for quite a long time. Uh, they have been there since a man named Patrick Hayworth was the owner of the monastery, uh, at which point I don't believe it was actually functioning as a monastery before, if if in fact it ever did. I assume that it did at one point, but they, they don't really get into that time period. It must have been kind of before uh, Patrick's time. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's it's not just a monastery. It's like a, a, a monastery stroke prison. For yes. yeah. infidels, maybe, or unbelievers, or just ne'er do wells in general, and they go there and I, I think, think it was described don't. for I think it was described as a prison for heathens and thieves. I think is the way it was described. Ah, of course, yes. <laughs> you know, as you do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, Patrick had a wife named Elaine, uh, and. Also, at the same time, uh, he had a friend in James, who uh, I believe they went to school together, um, mm-hmm. or or kind of came up together. Uh, both of them yeah. knew Elaine. Both of them were in love with Elaine. However, uh, Patrick was the one who could kind of give her a good life, air quotes, good life, uh, because he had money. So uh, James kind of backed off and became a uh, involved with the church. Then uh, sometime in there, uh, Elaine dies. Uh, She dies because Patrick and uh, Ogden are both away on business and uh, they are kind of invaded by these these robbers or these these Mm -hmm. same 'er ne'er-do-wells who would formerly have been uh, in the prison. Uh, So so she's murdered. The business that they they were off on is quite important here. So what they were doing is they were looking for a document called the Immigre, which is okay. almost like a a scripture that would allow somebody to be brought back from the dead. It was written and transposed by Alexander the Great with the intention of keeping it in the uh, Library of Alexandria. And the reason that we're doing that apparently was something to do with like weaponizing it to create a, a puppet army to allow someone to have some kind of uh, military advantage. Yeah, so I that's that that was where I kind of went off track there because I thought that um they weren't after the emigre document until after Elaine died. Um, that's what I thought it was, too. It was apparently I, I just fortuitous. Wrong. Uh well the the end result uh is that they do have this emigre document after Elaine dies because Patrick then starts attempting to use it to bring her back from the dead. Um this is kind of, I think, where Ogden and Bessie start getting uh, into some some 
unsavory business at the behest of Patrick, because in order to bring somebody back from the dead, you have to apparently kill a lot of other people. So, and fortunately for them, they have a ready stock of other people in these uh, these thieves and and bandits and ne'er do wells. <laughs> Uh, I just like saying ne'er-do-wells. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> these thieves, bandits, and ne'er-do-wells uh, that they have in their vicinity. Uh, Brian, I've, I've been I've read a lot of stuff over the last two weeks. Yes. So, if I, okay, but if I if but if I remember correctly, originally Ogden and Bessie, maybe maybe just Ogden, had gotten animals for Patrick to try this with, but uh, animals didn't have either enough spirit or soul like to work with. Yes. So then they started like literally getting into slave trading like trying to get slaves in order to do these experiments on and that that just kind of turned into anybody with a pulse that's that rings true because ogden was the ship's master of the slave ship that um was transporting the slaves for the souls yes um that he the in turn was at the helm of which then got destroyed and he felt guilty about for the rest of his life, which led him to painting versions of that disaster over and over and over and over again. Um, yes. Is everybody on the same page yet? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Yeah. It's taken three of um, us, but I think we are now the four masters of the Kadalka law across the entire area. Well, the, the, the one thing that we did not mention yet uh, is that uh, he eventually did bring Elaine back to life, but only her body, which was horribly mutated and uh, seems like kind of possessed. Uh, it, I don't, I'm not sure that they ever really describe what it is that happened to her to make her kind of this hybrid spider plant monster. Yeah, there's yeah. an allusion to a plant and, you know, a symbology, I'm sure. But the idea is that sure. so her body was resurrected, but her spirit remained in the, in the, the manor. And mm-hmm. her body is a plant that is at the base of the building and in the steeple of the chapel, I guess, is the flower where she is born and yes. or reborn, as it were, as a flower spider abomination thing <laughs> and her spirit is what has been crying out to Kadelka to tie a big bow on everything so that's why Kadelka came because she could yeah. hear the spirit of Elaine calling out to her um presumably to kill her kill and her end right her yeah. misery yeah yeah yeah, um, <laughs> yeah there was like a it was just a big like like psychic sky writing of the words help in the sky yeah. for Kadelka like got her uh, there like that scene from from alien where you know the the, yeah. the director's cut of <laughs> alien where it's just stuck to the wall that's that's basically uh elaine now where i'm hoping that you guys can help me is how does charlotte fit into all of this uh so sh- she's she's kind of a b plot charlotte is a little ghost girl who you meet relatively early on and who is just a real little brat um for for reasons that that you find out a little bit later, but yeah. um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if she is supposed to be connected to everything else or if she is just kind of a, a another side thing to to deal with in this mansion. So or uh, <laughs> mansion in this monastery. Um, so I, I'm kind of hoping that you all can help me with that. So I, if I have this correct, and and this again just goes from <laughs> multiple things I've read, <laughs> Sh- Charlotte was a love child born between a queen i don't remember where the queen is from and and somebody else and it was a child that needed to be kind of disappeared for political reasons 
So mm-hmm. she was taken to the prison at Nematon Monastery, and that's where she died. Well done. Okay. Yeah. So uh, is so that correct? Just, yeah, I mean that is. Okay. So she's the she's born out of wedlock um, between the Queen of Hanover and uh, another person, and obviously like a, a a sort of bastard child is something that's frowned upon at that particular moment in time. And Charlotte's kind of basic premise is that she. As far as I'm concerned, is there just to sort of flesh out Cadelga's character? So they draw comparisons between the two. So Cadelga, as I mentioned before, is a, a a woman who was um cast out of her gypsy um community for uh displaying supernatural powers in the same way that Charlotte was cast out of her community for her the fact that she's born out of wedlock. And the whole relationship between Charlotte and Cadelga is that they well, Charlotte doesn't necessarily sympathize with Cadelga, but Cadelga definitely sympathizes with Charlotte. And through that, she's able to express, like, I have these abilities and I feel responsible and accountable for helping you pass and releasing this anger. So it sort of serves the purpose of giving Cadelga a bit more to do while she's in the monastery and uh, sort of exemplifies how she feels that it's her responsibility to, I don't know, support other spirits or other people and and try and make their life better in a way that she didn't necessarily have so it could be uh, totally wrong it could all just be no i I think i think that's a really good uh a really good uh, synopsis of it i um there is a kind of side it's not exactly a side mission but it's a side objective for you to uh locate these letters that because part of the reason that charlotte is uh so angry and and has such unrest in her is because she believes that nobody ever loved her her mother never loved her you know she was just sent here to die um but you do find a lot of letters there's a lot of letters um that you locate from charlotte's mother to her to charlotte that you can then uh, bring, I believe you have to bring them to her grave, to Charlotte's grave, and then you bring them to where her ghost is. Uh, Now, and and the letters effectively say, you know, oh, I love you and I miss you, and, uh, you know, please don't ever think that that this is by my choice. I, you know, it's it's all very, um, very affirming for Charlotte as somebody who who believes that she was not loved to, you know, find out that she was. Now, I screwed up somewhere along the way, uh, and when I went, I thought I was going to give her the letters, and instead, I actually got into a boss fight with her and had to kill her. So, um, <laughs> I felt really bad about that, because I was not trying for that outcome, uh, but I'm not sure what I did wrong. Nah, you um, did loose, you so. guys get through the, uh, the, the, did you fight her or am I it's just me? So just I fought me, her and then I and oh, then I okay. I reloaded a previous save and was able to do it uh, the other way and that was only by guide though. Um cuz yeah. in my mind I was like that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go <laughs> and then I looked it up I'm like oh okay so I screw I forget I forget what I had to do. I'm not sure if I had to combine an item or maybe I had some letters that I hadn't like read through all of them yet. I know that sometime in this mm. game can kind of be a weird thing like you might they pick up a diary, but if you don't read through the entirety of it, it might it might have been something like that. I can't remember exactly why. Yeah, I I, I don't remember, Leah. I think I, I remember fighting her. I don't remember um, whether or not I, I put her soul to rest in a much more kind of kind form. I like um, Charlotte because I think it's rest. yeah. I think it just <laughs> establishes the the lore a little bit more. Like each one of these souls mm. is kept in perpetuity as a result of uh, an emotion in the case of charlotte it's the raw anger that she experienced as a result of being abandoned by her parents and 
obviously for Elaine, it's to do with um, like not being able to reconcile the relationship between James and and Patrick, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, and I, think I, I was really hoping that that by Kudelka hel- helping out these ghosts, these spirits, and that, like that it would garner some sympathy from James and kind of like soften him up a bit. But in reality, it like does a little. But then like two seconds later, he's like, ah, blasphemy, and then that's it. <laughs> that's the end of it. You know, like that's. It doesn't really do much to, to flesh out that, that relationship, unfortunately. I'm not, not familiar with Shadow Hearts, but I'd like to think that that kind of law permeates through the series because it's it's it seems like quite an important sort of mechanical, like theoretical law that could exist in there. All right, who wants to uh, who wants to talk about Roger Bacon? Um, so Roger Bacon is a at this point six hundred year old. Christian warlock who looks like a desiccated <laughs> piece of jerky, I guess. Uh, he's a man who is the only living successful, I don't really know what the process is called, but person who has um, successfully been uh, affected by the, um, oh goodness me, I'm trying to remember what the law name is, the uh, immigre. So yeah, Roger Bacon is a, is a man who has been successfully sort of magicked by the immigre and it gives him eternal life but it does not prevent his body from from desiccating and drying up at the same time like it seems to me that this is a person who's the only enduring character throughout the rest of the shadow hearts law and he's kind of interesting because he is the the man with the plan he's the guy who knows all about the immigre and all of the the magic that um makes the world tick he's also clinically insane at this point (laughs) Yeah, I like. There, I came to really like his character a lot. Um, the first time you meet him, he he literally it's like a it's like a physical gag. Like he springs up from the coffin. It's just like <laughs> I forget what all the stuff he says. He's just basically like um, it, it's almost like the scene from the Lord of the Rings where um, Schmeagel's being uh, tortured and he just shouts plot points like Shire Baggins. Like it's the same thing here. <laughs> Roger Bacon gets up. He's like Emma Gray Elaine. And then like passes out again. It's like holy god, what happened? Um, but it, if there is a comic relief to this game, he was it. Although that might just be striking my own weird sense of comic sensibility because essentially he is a a abo- a walking abomination that, as you said, Rich is quote unquote successful version of reincarnation or or what have you. Um, yeah, he's yeah he he um Richie mentioned this, but he does uh reappear uh as as a very important character in uh the other shadow hearts games uh and as do the the documents that um that actually uh were located by uh patrick and um kind of used for the uh the resurrection of uh of its wife so you know, it this all of this stuff does kind of come back, and I, along with you, also uh, get to visit um, James's grave in Shadow Hearts uh, because you come back to the monastery. But um, hmm. yeah, so uh, it, Roger Bacon, I, I, it, it's, I feel like this game could have taken place without him. Like, I, I didn't actually feel like he was that important to the storyline. They made him important to the storyline, obviously. But at the same time, like, I... It, 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 he felt kind of odd to me, and not just in the, in that he he himself is 
quite odd. Uh, it, it just it kind of felt like something that was inserted where it didn't necessarily fit. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think the yeah. the one saving grace for me is that they don't fall into the video game trope of here is a man who is old and a hermit and lonely and therefore he's funny and insane and insanity is hilarious and you know like they they sort of gently stay away from that. But I'm not sure if that's a, a trope or a language that had been established at that point. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. Yeah, they they really True. do stay away from that though, as kind of their you know the the information dealing you know. Like, you know, kind of like the, the hint dispensing kind of old, you know, tucked away person, you know, um, that th- this is a different way of accomplishing the same goal. I think that we actually did pretty well in in getting a storyline <laughs> together from uh, from all of that. Um, so all of this leads to or can lead to one of three different endings uh i kind of mentioned one of them already there is a pendant that you have to find be it during the storyline where you're actually supposed to find the pendant uh or whether like me you miss the pendant and you have to go find the black cat behind the pillar in the tower and blah 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 um if you don't have that you go into the final boss room and elaine quite literally melts your party's face off she kind of pops out of her little shell and then screams and yeah i mean you can you can look it up on youtube it's uh it's it's not great i i thought i was doing okay until so, until so I, that happened i'm gonna expose myself here for being like a horrible person there's a a moment where you catch oh, it's probably about half a second of um edward's face sorry not edward james's face just melting off and all that you can t- see to tell that it's james is those mutton chops are still on the side of his face <laughs> They sure uh, are. Listen, yeah. not even the power of uh, of uh, death itself can can destroy those. Those are chops. some powerful chops, <laughs> if we're being completely honest. They sure are. Yeah, those are the Lord's chops, <laughs> if I've ever seen them before. <laughs> they are. They're holy chops. That's it. That's holy I, we've solved chops. The yes, exactly. Uh. <laughs> the um. <laughs> Well, now I think that's the good ending. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the what is considered the good ending and what is considered the bad ending are uh, kind of interesting. Um, the what they call the good ending is if you win the fight with Elaine, um, which is a very difficult fight. She has a lot of health. Um, so you go through the fight. Uh, you kill her. Her soul reunites with her body, and then she dies. She falls into the fire uh, that has been consuming the monastery since you blew up part of it with the the nitroglycerin, and uh, and she actually dies for reals this time. Uh, the bad ending, air quotes, is that um, you lose the fight, which is quite easy to do and yeah. is certainly what I did, uh, and I think that a lot of people probably will their first time, uh, at least. Uh, you lose the boss fight. Uh, James sacrifices himself so that uh, so that the the evil can be destroyed and and everything uh, will will be as it should be. Uh, Kadelka and Edward escape, and uh, everything kind of goes dark. And then they climb out of a tent in the morning, clearly post coital. Um, and Edward leaves and never comes back. Kadelka goes. Okay, bye. And that's that's kind of it. Um, 
this is the bad ending, but it's also the ending that is supposed to be canon because it's the one that leads to Shadow Hearts. Because as it turns out, at that point, Kudelka is pregnant with uh, with Edward's son, uh, who you then... Uh, Ed- both Kudelka and her son show up, I will not say in what capacity, but they both do show up in Shadow Hearts. Hmm. Oh, what a tangled um, so web we weave one. here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? It's, it's fascinating to me that <laughs> the... The ending that carries on is the ending that, in essence, you you lose the game in order to achieve. And I like, in many regards, Mm. that you can lose the game and it still completes the game. Because by that point, I think to actually win against the lanes, it's quite a feat. Um, I know I had prior knowledge of this, so I just went in straight away and got the bad ending to to experience that. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to YouTube for the next. But I don't know if any of you guys made an effort to, to try and finish up a lane. I tried once. Um, I got the the not the worst ending because I, I did find the pendant, but I got the bad ending, which is the canon ending. And then afterwards, I knew there was the other one, so I'm like, oh, I'll just reload and I'll see if I can figure it out. And it it's not an immediate you reload and you're right there, so it kind of takes a minute to get there. And then I I just felt like ten minutes of just the chipping away, chipping away, chipping chipping away, and then. I died, and I looked up kind of how far I was in the fight, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not prepared for what this will take. So um, I just watched it on, on YouTube after that. Yeah, the bad part was that, like, I, I went in there, and I thought I was doing okay for quite a while. Uh, so, I mean, I probably was in that fight for, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes? 20, yeah, Not yeah. 20 minutes, probably. But I was, I was in there for a considerable amount of time before I finally lost. And I did know that I was... Su- well, air quotes, supposed to lose that fight. So, I mean, I wasn't pushing it too hard, um, especially since I had already had my face melted off in ending number one. But uh, yeah, I, I I thought that I had a chance and it turned out I did not have a chance. And it, it, I, I don't know, it was kind of frustrating, but I didn't, it was not frustrating enough for me to try to reload and go back. Um, I was happy with the ending that I got. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, I, it's it's kind of odd that the I, I like that it's that the bad ending is the one that you're supposed to get uh, that kind of leans into a, a lot of what the Shadow Heart series ends up being about. Um, and I, I, I just it, it's this game is different in a lot of ways. And we've already talked about how the characters themselves are you know, not exactly your typical protagonists. So I think that it's fitting that the ending you're supposed to get is not exactly your typical ending. You know, one of them's dead, one of them's pregnant, and one of them has gone back to the new world. <laughs> like, this is right. this is about as far from a traditional happy ending as you are going to get, you know? So uh, I, I appreciated that. All right, uh, I'm going to read a little bit of correspondence from the forum. We had more than I thought we would, which is great. I I appreciate that. Uh, So this is from Ben, 77 million, I believe, who says, As one of the plebes who walked away from Breath of the Wild, disgruntled with its flimsy weapons, Kudelka's weapon durability system proved to be a pleasant surprise. Seeing my character's proficiency with certain weapons improve every time they broke one meant that I ended up welcoming the notification that a weapon had shattered rather than dreading it. Kudelka's handling of weapon durability encouraged me to experiment with different types in the hopes of seeing the extended melee combos that came with higher aptitude. The weapons also lasted long enough that obtaining one felt rewarding rather than redundant. 
In terms of tactics, the final boss was the only enemy in the game that demanded my attention. As such, the combat was only inadvertently entertaining through its oddball enemy design and quirky animations. Thankfully, the customization afforded through stat distribution, coupled with the generous leveling system, meant that sitting through the sluggish encounters rarely felt like a waste of time. Although random encounters were tame and tended to last a few minutes too many, Kadelka's story was intriguing enough to hold my attention. Developments came at a steady pace, and seeing things unfold was consistently entertaining thanks to the frenetic CG cutscenes and solid voice work. The singular quality of the performances in this game lent the characters a weird charm. Despite only spending 15 hours in their company, Kadelka's three dysfunctional leads won me over in a way few JP JRPG parties do. Putting Kadelka up against its peers one facet at a time would probably lead to a series of unfavorable comparisons, but as an experience in and of itself, the game holds up pretty well. Its pre-rendered backgrounds don't hold a candle to those of Final Fantasy IX or Resident Evil 3, nor do its encounters warrant the tinkering that other JRPGs of its era invite, but for me, Kadelka remains an endearing game that admirably reworks the tone and progression of a survival horror into a curious RPG that accomplishes a lot without asking for much. Uh, so we didn't uh, talk too much about the progression system. We did note that um, we... Uh, had kind of different ways of building our characters. There are stats for which you get points, uh, and those points kind of dictate how much damage you do, how uh, fast your character can go. Uh, but what we didn't really touch on was how you upgrade your weapons and your magic. Um, so, or not, as the case the, is. Yeah, yes, so, exactly. So, um, go ahead. Yeah. So, so the idea in Kadelka is you, the weapons will degrade the more you use them. And, and I think behind the scenes, there's a back-end service that simply says, look, after X amount of uses, probably somewhere between like 12 and 15, the weapon will just, just break. And that weapon no longer becomes of use to you. But in doing that, what actually it does is it increases your affinity or your aptitude with that weapon. And so if you're a, a melee user, for example, it'll allow you to perform a like a combination attack. So at level two, you'll do two. Level three, you'll do three. Um, it's unlikely that you're going to get something uh, beyond that in the game because, yeah, the, the, there isn't enough game that would necessitate yeah. you to, to be able it's to get there. Long. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a kind of a risk-reward isn't the right way of phrasing it. It's more a case of it's ironic that in order to get better at something, you are losing it. You can grind weapons of the same uh, type in order to sort of benefit from using them again. But the, the idea behind it is that you basically use your just awful equivalent of the weapons to get that skill up and then save your best weapons for when you would need it. But here's the thing. Kadelka is not a very complicated or a very difficult game, so it's not something that you have to sort of not like knowingly do. I guess you two might disagree with that based around your your kind of builds and such. I wouldn't say that I necessarily disagree with it. I would say that um, I probably tried to make it a little bit more difficult than I think it actually was. Um, I was trying to spread my points out a little bit more than I think I needed to. Uh, and w as the game went on, it kind of became apparent that I didn't really need to do that. So like points in, so there's two magic stats. There's, um, it's one of them is like a faith-based magic stat and one of them is like a, a power-based magic stat. Um, so those are both pretty useless for, say, Edward, who is just going to hit things <laughs> right. until they <laughs> fall down. Um, 
but you know they they will they give you explanations for each of the stats and it will say things like oh this is related to you know how much damage they'll take from other people's magic attacks and you know that's great and everything but as rich as you were saying the game really isn't long enough for you to build an especially complicated thing you can kind of just pick two or three stats and pump all of your points into those and somebody in your party is going to be able to actually get the job done at that point um so yeah i think i think maybe my characters were a little more diverse is not the right word a little more capable of doing other stuff but they didn't need to be really yeah, that that was the exact same experience I had. Just I I kind of made focused on health HP for everybody after um after hearing what Rich had to say, but but also um like it became pretty clear like the, in the first few hours I was kind of like, well, what stats should I put them into? Kind of like you know hemming and hawing. Then like ten hours in, I'm just you know spamming the button XXX XXX and then moving on just because I, I realized it didn't truly impact anything too greatly enough to impact my experience. Hmm. Let's go into another uh, piece of correspondence from the forum. This is from T-Bird, who says, After 4.5 hours and just beginning Disc 2, I can confidently say that I have never played anything quite like Kudelka. This strange blend of Resident Evil with a very light strategy RPG combat system, taking place in a semi-historical, supernatural, fictional timeline, and featuring a cast of dysfunctional characters who work together out of necessity rather than by choice, would be a tall order for a modern game. The fact that it was even attempted in 1999 is impressive in and of itself. Unfortunately, that only excuses some of its numerous rough edges. Kudelka has served up some goosebump moments so far and evokes a sense of dread in its grisly setting. The occasional bit of humor, usually a result of the party members bickering, has usually been successful, quality of the voice acting aside, when it could have so easily undermined the experience. The battle system is the game's low point. That's a major problem, given that it makes up the majority of the gameplay besides running about. I still haven't figured out exactly how the movement grid works in all circumstances, nor have I uncovered the secret to leveling up sp spells akin to the way weapon skills are leveled. What I have figured out is that enemies practically always first target Kudelka if there is any possible way of hitting her. Also, the combat is just abysmally slow, even running on a PS2. The constant loading pauses after attack or magic actions must have been absolutely painful on the original PlayStation. It also feels unfinished, as in some animations and sound effects feel like they're missing. I'm intrigued enough that I intend to finish Kadelka in the coming weeks. It's certainly not an easy game to recommend, but it is unique in many ways, and I wonder what could have been accomplished with a bigger budget, a bit more time, and some better optimization. Yeah, um, loading times are awful, and <laughs> yeah. so are uh, combat loading time like it's not exactly loading time so we we mentioned this before but the um just kind of the the pauses in between when your character does something and when you have to swap to a different character to have them do something the animations just don't link together especially well at all um it's 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 very choppy, and even in an emulated version, it, it takes a long time. So, yeah, I imagine that the original PS1, Brian, that I salute you for it was, sticking it was, with that. It was troubling. There was a lot of uh, Twitter scrolling on my phone in between battles, that's for sure. <laughs> that it definitely, yeah. um, it's hilarious, too, because the game that I'm playing, kind of an aside, 
back to back Kadelka with is Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. <laughs> so I'm playing uh, Kadelka, and I'm literally posting tweets in between lo- in between battles, and I'm playing Ratchet and Clank, and like I hit start on the PS5 menu, and I pick up my phone, and I look up, and Ratchet's looking at me, being like, "Hey, come on, let's go! <laughs> like, come on, you're in the game now." <laughs> it's crazy, but um, but yeah, they, it was sometimes brutal, and if you lost a particularly difficult fight or a long fight, um, it was mm-hmm. sometimes enough to make you need to walk away for an hour or two before you came back. Yeah, yeah definitely agree with that. Uh, Simon Sloth from the forum says, Kadelka is an excellent pick for this year's Cane and Rinse lineup. Thank you. Especially for my copy of the game. I actually got the game on release, as from the magazine previews, it appeared to my young eyes like a Resident Evil-style survival horror, but without the BBFC 15 certificate, which would have stopped my parents buying it for me. I played it once and was so confused, as I don't think I'd played a turn-based RPG before, and put it back on the shelf. I was raised to never be ungrateful for a present, so I said thank you to my parents, pretended I enjoyed it. So all these years, it has sat on a variety of shelves until now. Although there are some Resident Evil comparisons, what with the mansion setting, fixed camera angles, questionable voice acting, and range of monsters, the gameplay is very different. Overall, I enjoyed my time with it, and I'm glad to have played it. The interval between random battles was perfect, leveling up occurred pretty frequently, there were lots of save points, and the game was surprisingly short for an RPG, ultimately respecting my time. Aside from one painful piece of backtracking, the game always seemed to be pushing you forward, which was incredibly welcome, and there's something really satisfying about a disc swap. Unfortunately, the game also has several questionable design decisions. The battle music aside, from maybe the last boss, is the same every time, and although it was quite fun at first during some of the longer battles, it felt borderline torturous. The in-game map was terrible, many key objects were barely visible, and even the head turn Kadelka does toward an object did not help. The manual in the box was poor, and I didn't feel like it was ever explained to me that if I repeated an attack or continually used a weapon with a character, that it would level up that individual's stat. Unfortunately, a lot of the early game I was using every new weapon I came across and switching to the one with the highest stats, meaning I never mentioned, I never mastered anything to my detriment and led to some later game grinding which could have been avoided. During battles, there are painfully long delays after magical attacks where the other characters load back in with some of these making me think the game had crashed. Then there was the backtracking for Acid. Why? I can't understand why anyone <laughs> think it was a good idea to add this unnecessary padding, especially with a confusing map and poor signposting. I don't want to end on a series of negative comments, so I'll highlight something positive. Towards the end of the game, there was a prolonged scene involving Kodelka and Edward, which seemed both natural and well-acted. It had an almost Uncharted-esque flavor and stood out in terms of quality and style from the rest of the game's quite terrible dialogue and acting. If there had been more of this, I feel the game could have garnered a more favorable critical reception and makes me wonder how much better it could have been. You also fight furniture. (laughs) You really do, yeah. There's um, you, you, there's a you do. So Simon Sloth and I went backwards and forwards on Twitter for a while about um, like I was fighting furniture. I spent a lot of time in this game fighting chairs and desks and all that sort of good stuff. And then there's a part where a boss scene comes and you get that kind of like it sort of like goes ring a ding a ding a ding like in the battle music. You're like, yeah, here we go. What's going to happen? And it was just a different colored furniture. And I was like, oh. there is a boss fight with Beautiful. with. Uh, with- chairs yeah I, I i did not i mean i was led before i started this game i had heard a lot from rich about the furniture fighting so i was prepared to fight a lot more furniture than i actually did and i feel like it was kind of oversold to me but there was a boss fight with furniture so that's kind nothing. of uh, yeah that's, that's something um 
All right. Well, thank you very much to all of our correspondents. Uh, you can give us your feedback on any of the issues upcoming uh, on our forum. That's canamrinse.com slash forum. Uh, I believe, I, I'm not sure how early the threads go up, but uh, at least a couple of weeks beforehand, you would have the opportunity to uh, give us some feedback for uh, possible inclusion in the show. Also, the day of recording, we put out uh, at Kane and Rinse on Twitter a call for three award reviews, which we have, appropriately enough, three of them. Uh, so here they are. Brian. T-Bird says, ambitious, fascinating mess. Simon Sloth says, terrifying table tussles. And Andrew Elmore says, so expensive now. It really is. All right. So, um man this this is uh this is a toughie I, I feel like we're all kind of on a similar level here um so uh actually i think uh rich let's start with you mm. yeah i think that's fair look I, I, yeah i don't want to sort of create overblown statements but when you nominated this for this volume i i kind of felt almost like you were doing it on purpose just to wind me up because you know how i felt about this game prior to coming in and i also felt very upset i would never I felt very upset that I was the only person who played it and had prior knowledge of the game. So I was I was ready to dunk on this game. I also knew that it was a very short game as well, so I could leave it um, partway through the year. And genuinely, like coming out the other side of this, I don't think it's that bad. I think actually at the point that I'd played it, I was probably a bit too critical and trying to tease out of it something like what its contemporaries would have had. It is no Final Fantasy. It is no... Um, Suicoden, it's no Legend of Dragoon or any of those PS1 classic games that kind of have, have been stalwarts of the RPG um, genre. But what it is, is this really kind of melting pot of just really creative and unique ideas that sort of level and, and hit with mixed success. Um, I think it's really nice to be able to come back and, and supersede that really negative uh, memory. And, and I'm, I'm genuinely very pleased that you brought it up because it's it's made my interest in the the rest of the series and the Shadow Hearts games a lot more um, curious and and peaked. Um, there's some impressive animations in there. I think that's really important, and there's some really interesting dialogue that's got some pretty sort of bad acting in places. But the the scene in particular with the the drunk Adelga and drunk James is is actually a really like strong scene. I feel because it's as I mentioned earlier, it's like a nice dramatic monologue. It feels like somebody's auditioning. And they've just picked a monologue to go out there and, and do, and, and it's worth picking out. I wonder if this game would have been better with an active time battle um, uh, mm. system. Because here's the thing, that, that grid-based system really brings nothing to it. They don't leverage that in any real way, shape, or form that, that's sort of bringing anything interesting to the, the battlefield. I get the feeling that maybe they were more enamored with their animations in there than, than they were with anything else. Um, so... You know, I think in hindsight, that would have probably made for a much stronger game and a much slicker game as well that would have been a little bit more palatable and, and easier to play. Um, I think the 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 final thoughts that I've had is, I mentioned this at the beginning, it claims to be the sexiest gothic horror RPG on the PlayStation, and I, and I think it's achieved that in, in buckets. <laughs> well said. All right. Uh, Brian. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually thrilled that I've played through it now. Um, I... It's hard to recommend, like Rich said. I'm not sure if I would, especially if you don't have an easy means with which to play it. It's certainly cost prohibitive, and and I know the emulation um, is can be very tricky in some aspects to get going. Um, but yeah, it's really it's really a neat thing, and I'm kind of I'm like 
like one of those people that like I I just if this has existed and I didn't know about it um and I'd never touched it like I feel I feel like my life's a little bit better now because of Kudelka like I don't know how I don't know why but I feel like a little <laughs> bit more complete like I, I it just like these isometric PlayStation One games were were such of a time and place that like it's this weird time capsule of all the things that I now currently love about game development and Kudelka's got a ton of those in there. Um, a lot of them are rudimentary and unpolished and, and in some aspects just bad, but you could definitely see the building blocks of some cooler things happening. I also think that after uh, the amount of lore diving I did after the fact that I'm, I have to play Shadow Hearts now because <laughs> just because I know too much about Kadelka. So, um, so I'm going to, um, so yeah, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to dive into Shadow Hearts at some point, not right away. I need a little bit of a break from 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 the from the Kadelka verse for a while, but <laughs> but I do think if if you have an easy means with which to play this, I'm not suggesting you spend all 15 hours go through the whole thing, but it it'd be neat to touch it and just kind of like see what this game was and and it does a lot I think to explain both the technical innovation and limitation of the PlayStation era of games. So yeah, I think it's definitely worth a look if you can. So Leah's very happy with that because I feel like it's a great big fat mission accomplished uh, in that regard. <laughs> Listen, if you liked this, you're going to love Shadow Hearts. That's all I'm saying. Um, heads up, it's also kind of hard to find. Not as hard as Kadelka, but it's, mm, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm wrapping this up. I brought this to the table this this year, and uh, despite what Rich said, it was not just because I was was trying to mess with him that didn't hurt. But um, I I genuinely wanted to play this game because, as I mentioned, I have owned a copy of it for a long time and uh, just kind of never got around to it. And given my fondness for the games that come after it in the series, uh, I'm really, really glad that I had this opportunity and this uh, kind of impetus to, um, to to get that done. Um, and I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not the best game on the PS1 by any stretch, but it's unique. It, it has a lot of things going for it that I don't think other games really tried. Uh, it it combines aspects of some of the games that I really do like. Like I really do like a lot of JRPGs on the PS One and and uh, you know beyond. I guess I, I really do like Resident Evil and Silent Hill and and kind of seeing a game that really did go for it in just kind of combining a lot of those things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in the same package. Uh, it, it wasn't perfect and it, it, you know, it fell flat in a couple of ways, but I think that it, it was a worthy experiment by that team and I'm, I am really glad that I played it. So um, I would agree, you know, maybe don't go out and spend $300 on a copy of Kadelka for the PS1. Um, I, I have no idea if that's accurate. I, I, Price-wise, I, I have not looked recently. I just remember that it was scary the last time I did. Uh, so, you know, maybe don't do that. But uh, if if there, if there it comes to some kind of digital distribution service, keep an eye out. I'm not really holding my breath on that one, but, you know, you never know. Um, and if you do have the ability to uh, to track down a copy of this game, I, I would say give it a look. Uh, it's, it, it is unlike a lot of other things that I have played Um and I really like that. I like weird Japanese role-playing games, and, and this certainly fits that bill. So uh, 
that is uh, that is my summary uh, until next year when maybe I can get people to play Shadow Hearts finally. <laughs> um, we'll see. So just remains for me, Leah, to thank Rich and Brian, as well as all of our correspondents, our editor, Jay, and of course, all of you for listening. Next time in issue 475, we've already done one series of id Software's uh stuff i guess in uh, doom and now we are taking a look at quake so we'll see you next week 